Whiteboards Are, a podcast by educators about all things education. Hello, today we have a special guest. Nicole Harrell is an instructional coach at an area school, and we invited her to come on today because for many of us, we don't exactly know what this job entails or its impacts. This is a longer episode, but we hope you listen all the way through because Nicole is an absolute gym and her insights are profound. We hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Nicole Harrell. This is my 11th year in education, and I am a 9 through 12th grade instructional coach in Southwest Missouri. All right. So our first question for Nicole here is, what exactly is an instructional coach? What does your day look like? And then we'll kind of follow up uh, with some of those other questions. So I feel like I'm always terrible at uh, answering what an instructional coach is, but I'm going to try to be better at it this time. Um, you can do it. <laughs> so, first of all, I'm better at explaining what an instructional coach isn't. Like an instructional coach is not, if if you if it's being done right, an instructional coach is not someone who's there to fix teachers. Um, so they are someone who's there as an extra support for teachers. They're someone who has been a teacher and who understands what a difficult job it is, and understands that like it's a job that we shouldn't expect people to do on their own. Um, And so they need people to um, plan with them and run ideas by and um, look at some data with. And uh, yeah, just uh, another another person to bounce ideas off of and do the job with. Do you feel like you're, it's more of an administration role, a teacher role or some some sort of weird hybrid? I don't, I definitely don't think it's an administrator role, but I also, um, it's, it's different than a teacher role. And and honestly, that teachers jobs are harder than my job. Um, it's just, their job is so much harder. So I, I feel guilty if I say, yes, I'm a teacher. Um, because I'm not like in the grind like they are every day. Um, but I definitely, um, I think some instructional coaches are used as pseudo administrators. Uh, luckily that's not my experience. So I would say I'm more like, um, almost like an advocate for teachers. That's awesome. That was the word I was going to use. I was thinking about, cause Amanda and I have both had the lovely and enriching experience of being coached by Nicole, yeah. which is 0% sarcasm. 100% authentic comments. Um, and Nicole does an outstanding job, I think, of being a teacher advocate. Um, and she, I think we see her as being really in touch with problems um, that maybe we're experiencing on our end as teachers. Can you give an, an example of what that a problem might be? Um, well, I think kind of the most recent, this is like a larger scale problem, okay. right? But kind of the most recent thing that I see us dealing with is um, this emerging trend of, I'm going to call it censorship in reading. Okay. And so Amanda and I are both English teachers. And so that touches our, our lives as teachers very directly. And so this, um, legislative trend we see emerging of people trying to kind of dictate what can and cannot be read in a classroom, I think it's fair to say it causes our department some anxiety. Definitely causes a lot of anxiety because we want to choose books that are relevant to kids that are relevant to today and today's issues. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that we pick the right books. And sometimes those books 
um, especially with legislation coming out right now, um, do garner some controversy within that. I just want to make sure that I'm on the same page. Mm -hmm. So you you have this issue of uh, book censorship. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you approach uh, Nicole or another instructional coach with that issue? How does that back and forth go? In our experience, it's very easy. (laughs) Nicole is so accessible to where sometimes I feel bad. I'm like, sorry, Nicole. I'm (laughs) I'm once again, like, what is it? The Bernie Sanders joke where it's like, I'm once again asking for your input and advice on this issue. Um, But, you know, it's really easy to just like get in touch with Nicole via email or chat or whatever. Be like, hey, do you have time for this? Um, And we'll talk about it. And it's very, um, the process feels very actionable, at least where our administration is open to hearing input from her. She can meet with them on our behalf um, and kind of advocate for whatever we're experiencing. So even if the issue isn't directly touching our lives right now, um, the fact that it creates anxiety and tension for the teachers, um, Nicole's really great about advocating with that experience for the administrative side. I think that's another thing that goes, Sam saying that um, made me think about like the other role of the instructional coach, which is kind of odd, is you kind of are this um, mediator. And um, I I think one of the benefits of having an instructional coach is that you do have someone who the teachers um, feel like they can talk to. And um, then you can take that information and express that um, in a way where you are advocating for them. Because if you're if your teachers aren't in a good place, the school isn't going to be in oh, a good place. That's a great point. So sure. um, you just have to be willing. And, and you have to be someone I've, – I've never been someone who, shy, who has shied from conflict. So um, I feel like I approach it in a decent way, but you can't be afraid of difficult conversations. Like you have to be willing to yeah. take them to the people and have them and – and whatnot. So do you feel like you're advocating for teachers mostly to administrators? Mm-hmm. That's where you feel like you're mediating? Yeah, especially um, in the age of COVID. And right. I mean, it, that that the role I think is different at different times. It absolutely was, um, I guess, the amount of time spent in different areas is different depending on what's going on with COVID. Definitely more time in the advocacy role than okay than previously yeah yeah man what a great resource when i like so earlier today um sam was talking to me about this application she was filling out and uh got input from nicole and i like what she said earlier about how uh it's not so much about fixing the teachers or like fixing the problems it's more focused on uh i think what you said was uh uh, it's focused on what the students are doing okay making sure that the students are doing something in the classroom that is enriching, that Mm -hmm. is engaging, that, you know, has them learning essentially. And I like that because then it's like, we're not looking at, oh, all these problems that we should fix. It's looking at like, Mm -hmm. how do we, how do we focus on the strengths of the students? How do we actually, you know, work? Uh, This is all just secondhand information. I was just recalling. Yeah, yeah. 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 that's good. good. And I, you know, coming from a school that didn't have an instructional coach to now having one, it's really, sort of transformed the way that I approach education and the way I approach teaching because now I have somebody that I can collaboratively work with who I can bounce ideas off of and get the feedback that I need to either adjust a lesson or adjust what I'm doing or really just ask like, well, why are we teaching 
this? Like, Mm -hmm. what's the benefit of that? Mm -hmm. And so it's really helpful to have that person. From my point of view, I have to think like, well, what did we do without that? And Uh I guess we used each other, but we're so siloed in our own content areas or positions in the building or, you know, like Mm -hmm. it didn't always click. Right. So, wow, what a great resource. Well, and one of the biggest benefits, because I I think you're exactly right, like we did that for each other. I have an instructional question. What are you doing or what works? Or this is something that's stressing me out. So you go to each other maybe after school or whenever you have time. But the incredible thing about having an instructional coach is the protected time. Like, no, this is a time in which we can be intentional, which we can be reflective. And I think the impact that it has on teaching is Right. Really great because mm-hmm. you have that preserved time to do that instead of trying to like sneak it in wherever you're available. Intentional. In, I like in the a word. school that doesn't have an instructional coach, I guess, you know, maybe they have department heads or lead teachers and ideally administrators. But if let's say you have 40 teachers and no instructional coach, well, now you have 40 people that could possibly come in at you as an administrator and you're dealing with all the administration things and discipline and all the crazy things they deal with. But with an instructional coach, is it you're kind of like a buffer? You can kind of collect mm-hmm. um, issues and and see things across the board and alleviate some of that maybe from the administration. Yeah, I feel like um, if I hear something and and I try to be really um, cognizant of not like saying names or right. you know just like I can get a feel of the building and I can say, look, some teachers are feeling like this. Um, and so, yeah, I think I'm definitely can be a buffer for both sides. Cause I can, I can see from a principal standpoint, um, if you're hearing from however many different teachers you have in your building, that can be absolutely overwhelming. Yeah. Um, but, um, having one person maybe who can, who can take it and then also take it to the administrator. And then also, um, yeah, I think it's probably easier for every one involved um, for that to be able to yeah. happen. How, how do you become an instructional coach? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I honestly, like when I started in education, I didn't see myself being anything other than a classroom teacher. Um, and then uh, there was a cohort in uh, my building for getting our master's and I I didn't even know what if I got my master's what would I want my master's in this was an administration I was like I don't know if I ever want to be an administrator but I wanted more money (laughs) so um so yeah so I was like well I'll get my master's in administration so I can get some more money um and then at that same time they we had um we had tech coaches in the building, but they just had one open hour. And then um, I was pulled into that tech coach fold late. And then like a year after I was in the tech coach fold, um, they decided to get rid of that, but then have a part-time instructional coach. Um, And then I was chosen to be that person. Um, And I think it helped that I had my master's or was working right. on my master's. If So to answer your question, in, in short, a lot of places you have to have your master's. It doesn't yeah. necessarily matter what your master's is in, but you got to have your master's. Um, you, have to, um, you have to show that you have um, a vast range of knowledge and instructional practices. Um, 
that you're a person who is open to mediating. Um, I think, you know, and I don't think that's everywhere, but I do feel like I'm lucky to be in a situation where it has been established not by me, but by the people above me that, that I am an advocate for teachers. So that's a role that was established for me. So there's not what I am so thankful for is I don't experience this guilt of doing that because look, this is a role you established for me. So I'm doing it. Um, so it's a lot of different things. It's a fairly new thing. Like I was a part-time instructional coach for the middle school and high school. Then I was a full-time instructional coach for the middle school and high school. And now just this year, I'm full-time for the high school and someone else is full-time for the middle school. So, um, it's new. I know there's a lot of, uh, especially in secondary where um, they don't have instructional coaches. Um, At the lower levels, instructional coaches can be uh, covered by Title IX funds. It's harder at secondary because the funds has to come from the district. So the district has to value it to bring in the position. Um, So one, how do you become an instructional coach? Find a place who has an instructional coach because, you know, they're not (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) And then... um, Two, I think just um, getting into the mindset, and I was kind of texting with Sam about this today, that you aren't someone who's there to fix teachers. Like you're someone who's there to um, ask them questions, build upon their strengths, um, help the students. um, Because, I mean, if we think about our own weaknesses, we could spend forever trying to slightly improve on our weaknesses. We can make a greater impact helping uh, teachers and students build on their strengths. So that's, I don't think I answered your question. That's no, what I, I, think that's, did. I I'm, I'm yeah, going I think with you it. You did, 100%. Yeah. And it ties into that article we were talking about yeah. before we started recording the yeah. Taylor Smith from the American Economic Association. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just was thinking about that. I'm like, oh, look at that. When you invest in support staff. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it's, you know, this is a support position that at this point, it, what a no brainer, right? right? Like it, is alleviating so many pain points that we have in education, whether it's administration that's spread thin and can't necessarily cover all these different things and supporting teachers who desperately need some sort of advocate, mediator, somebody just to have their back. Um, so <laughs> what, what benefits do, does an instructional coach bring to a school district? So broad strokes because really what I want to try and do is lay, lay the framework of like, if the school doesn't have this position, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. this is why you should no. do it. Absolutely. Use the platform. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Well, I think, um, especially now, I think we're moving into an era where, um, nurses have been in this situation for a while where they're just, they're burnout yeah. and they're leaving. Um, And it's hard to keep them in such a tough situation. And I think we can see if you look at Mo teaching jobs, the number of teaching positions posted right now is out of control. So early in the year. Yeah. So um, I think that um, by having an instructional coach, um, you are already taking a step to say that you want to support your teachers. Um, And that is so necessary because you would be hard pressed to convince me that teaching isn't one of the hardest jobs that exists. And if we want teaching to be long-term sustainable, we need all the support systems in place that we can get for them. Um, 
So I really think that um, if a district pulls in more instructional coaches um, and they do it in the right way, that that's a way of supporting teachers and hopefully um, keeping your staff as long as possible and keeping them happy and, and healthy. And when you have a happy and healthy staff, um, you should have happy and healthy students. Right. So, yeah. So when the staff is invested in the community that they're teaching, mm -hmm. like it, it's, it reciprocates, you know? I think that's definitely our mindset, you know, <laughs> right. kind of teacher first in terms of our educational perspective and not necessarily from a top-down administrative heavy. I mean, this it makes sense. And I love that you brought in the analogy with, with nursing because I feel like there's always been a great parallel between um, our, our fields. Um, and well, and so coming from a small district to a mid-sized district, um, I think it is incredibly easy for teachers to get lost in the shuffle. We kind of mentioned before, like you use the word siloed and like you close your door and you teach and you're just in there all day. You go home, you repeat, right? And um, it's not feasible kind of we've discussed this already it's not really feasible for administrators to actively give all of the feedback that a teacher needs to learn and grow that's a great point like, yeah that's not a personal like attack on no anybody that's just a generalized like that's the truth yeah, yeah like yeah. teachers have a lot to do admin have a lot to do um and so having an instructional coach one gives your teachers better avenues for feedback and supportive feedback because it's not evaluative like she just comes in to help us so you don't have to feel like the high pressure situation and get freaked out or something which is nice um and i also think like if it's easy to get lost in the shuffle, it's easy also to feel alone. It's easy also to get very despairing and like, well, nothing I'm doing is working. And so having somebody who can come in and support you with those things really reestablishes that community feel of education because just classroom teaching can be very isolating. Mm -hmm. You brought up the, the idea, like you're not here to fix bad teachers. Is there, or has there ever been a, a moment where a teacher felt like you were there to like spy on them or because I could see at certain school districts, uh -huh. maybe it's established. Like that's what the position mm -hmm. is like. Oh, sure. And, and that's unfortunate. Uh -huh. um, and I could see where teachers would be very nervous with that. So I love oh. the, the idea that, Hey, this is, this isn't necessarily about, you know, you being a bad teacher. It's we're just trying to, Right. Yeah, you don't want like the tattletale type right, type right. of person in your room because that's not your job right. or your role. Right. I think I I have always been afraid of teachers feeling that, um, because I wouldn't want to feel that. Um, I think we've done um, myself or whatever administrator I've worked for has tried to do the best job we can to ensure that's not what's happening. Um, but I think, of course, people are going to have that feeling. You have somebody in your room you're, who talks to or is connected to the administrator. I think there's going to be that feeling. Um, but we can't, like, I can't control someone else's feelings. I can just um, do what I do and, and try to ensure and show with my actions um, that that's not what's happening. Um, so I think a way that I've tried to myself remedy that is um, 
before, uh, when I was at the middle school and high school, I was just like kind of just going into classrooms. Um, and what I would try to do is forewarn like a hallway beforehand. Hey, I just want to get into classrooms. Like I'm going to be in this hallway this week, just so you know. Um, but I still felt like that wasn't um, purposeful. Um, and so since I've studied like more of the student-centered coaching and have taken that approach, um, we go through what we call coaching cycles where basically um, teachers establish a student-centered goal. Um, we work toward that goal, we talk, we plan together. So since I've started that approach, I just go into the classrooms where um, I'm doing coaching cycles so that it's purposeful visits. It's just like, how can I support you in this way? Um, and I'm learning, like this is a new learning process. I feel like I'm better at that this semester than I was the first semester. Um, but just trying to make sure classroom visits are purposeful, that it's that there's no doubt that I'm there just to support. I'm not just popping in. Um, and then if a teacher isn't in a coaching cycle and they want me to come in for a purpose, I will. Um, but I've kind of, for me, have decided the best way moving forward, and, and luckily I have some autonomy concerning this, the best way moving forward is um, not, not popping in. Um, it's to have purposeful planned visits um, because we're working together on a goal. Yeah, I like that. I, I mean, I have a question because I'm thinking of the role of the instructional coach, you know, where I work. And I'm just curious, how involved are you in like curricular or curriculum development? Do you establish curriculum or are you more like on the back end? This is how we implement the curriculum in the best way or? For my own knowledge before we from my own knowledge before we answer this question. Do you have one in yeah. your building? Yeah. Is it like a district-wide or a building district. specific person? Oh, okay. Sorry. I just didn't know. Continue. <laughs> well, I was just curious. <laughs> well, that's why I said in my own district. Right, right. But I didn't know if you were like, hey, so we could open up for oh. one. Like, oh, okay. maybe I go back and I tell them. No, um, I or if it was like, hey, we have one and comparing how we use. So you have one for like all the buildings? Uh, for Yeah, for the full district. So, well, I, the, it's, there's like 18 or 19 teachers between the junior high and high school. And then the elementary, yeah, it's, it's small. It's very small. Um, so yeah, they have the one, there's one principal for junior high and high school, one for elementary. And then we have one counselor for junior high, high school, one for elementary, one instructional coach for the whole district. I'm just thinking from my perspective, like, yeah. um, and sorry, if I go on a tangent, you want to redirect me, feel free. <laughs> no. um, but I'm thinking from my perspective, I've, I've had teachers bring up, because, you know, I um, my background is in um, English. And so I've had, like, math teachers say, you know, it'd be really nice to have someone who has a math background. And I totally, I totally get that. Um, and some places um, do do, like, K through 12 ELA instructional coach, K through 12 math instructional coach. And I'm thinking, man, I feel like I would be decent at that five through 12, get below fifth grade. And I, I don't know that I would be, I don't know if I could help those people. I feel like I could help math high school teachers way better than I could help um, K through four teachers trying to teach them English. I'd be like, I'd I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and maybe that's why our our district has her uh, more in a position of 
curriculum alignment, like vertical alignment uh, through the grades, um, just trying to create that cohesion mm -hmm. throughout the district. Um, obviously, like test scores and data and metrics and everything else, whatever. Um, so I was just curious if that's like something that is common in the instructional co instructional coach role or if that's really just because I work in such a small district. It's it's there. So um, we're kind of um, tasked with leading conversations. And um, pre-COVID, we did this more um middle of COVID, we've, we've tried to like back off of this, but, um, pre COVID, we were getting more into like, what are our priority standards and, um, unpacking those priority standards and, um, not necessarily, I would say through coaching cycles, I'm more involved in like helping teachers with curricular resources. Um, the only curriculum thing I'm really involved in is, um, really making sure what are your priority standards um, what standards are being focused on for what unit, um, as far as, and you know, that in a sense, our curriculum is really is the standards themselves. And then, um, from that point, I will help with curricular resources, but I don't have to do that. If that makes sense. It's really more just making sure teachers understand what the expectation is from the state and then planning from there. Mm -hmm. Because we've been we've been going through this like two year long process of identifying our priority standards and making sure that teachers are staying focused on it. But again, she's one lady for the entire district, so you know, yeah, I I respect her a lot. Also, she's only there like two days a week. She they, they only gave her like a part time position. Oh my, oh my gosh! gosh. Yeah, <laughs> the whole district. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so what can you even my accomplish mind is with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, she does a fantastic job. She is also a boss. Uh, she's a retired teacher, so she knows the grind. Uh, yeah, so it almost sounds like they're using her as like, um, which obviously I'm not there, so I don't know, but as like a curricular planner as opposed to an instructional coach. Yeah, that's kind of like what it more feels like. central office adjacent. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Because it'd be, I mean, with that that vast array, it would be hard to have like a coaching model that you could follow, I would think, and especially two days a week. That'd be hard. So what you're saying is your school needs a full-time... <laughs> I think all <laughs> schools need a full-time. <laughs> right, full -time. right. Maybe yeah. like at least two, middle school, yeah. secondary, B, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think so. Well, I, I don't know if you all would agree with the statement I'm about to make, but generally we're all in the same mind Trigger warning. <laughs> like school counselors oh. okay. over the years have shifted from like a student service to a staff service mm -hmm. like they also kind of serve as counselors to their their peers their, their own teachers mm -hmm. um you know and, and I've, I'm reading articles and I'm hearing more talk about, you know, maybe maybe that needs to be divided into, you know, student counseling, staff counseling. Mm -hmm. But that is a required resource that schools have to provide. At, at what point do we say, OK, an instructional coach kind of in a lot of ways, I mean, I would say based off what you said, you're advocating and counseling and kind of talking people off the ledge, so to speak, especially during COVID, like man, that is absolutely needed. That is an essential resource. Talk about teacher retention. Right. Yeah. Well, and I have to think too, so like 
like we've mentioned, Nicole has had a very positive impact on my experience in my current district. Um, I have non-jokingly said before that if Nicole wasn't there, I would consider leaving far more often. So to attest to the efficacy of her <laughs> job in that role, she's doing a great job. Um, however, like let's say hypothetically we did have like a math and science or like a STEM instructional coach and then a more like linguistic and language oriented instructional coach. Having two support staff like that is going to have a crazy oh, impact on how great your teachers can be because they're actually being supported in what they're trying to do. I mean, for me, it's easy to like, okay, look back on the year that I left mm -hmm. and I was probably more isolated. Well, I was more isolated. I, I wasn't going to eat lunch, mm -hmm. you know, um, I was generally in my room with students trying to get them through stuff. And, you know, it's during COVID. I have two young daughters. One has Down syndrome and you know, has some medical conditions that I really didn't want to be around the possibility of getting getting COVID again. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I had Amanda there and I had another teaching partner in my hallway. But even then, like, I felt like we were separated more so than any other year. And it just it like, wow, I think I was just lonely you know, not this, like my wife is amazing. Like, you know, <laughs> right, right, right. you have these friendships, but in that profession, like I felt like administration wasn't necessarily around for that support. So having, man, I, I just see the benefit, um, you know, looking back on that mm -hmm. mid COVID, uh, teaching year. It's really cool. And it's definitely, you know, this year being my first year with an instructional coach has positively impacted the way I view my own teaching. Um, it's definitely made me more purposeful and that's something that I can carry with me without an instructional coach, but it's just so nice to have that other person in the room to yeah. say, oh, that's Hey, great. are you being intentional with this? Like, why are you having them do these assignments or these things? Because I think all of us as educators, you know, when you've taught something once and it works pretty well, you don't necessarily reflect on it. You just do it again that next year, that next year, that next year. And so having an instructional coach allows you um, that time for reflection too and to assess not only the data, right, like we pre and post test these kids, but also reflect on why did we teach that? Did it, was it beneficial for our students? So it's been amazing in that regard too. Well, I think that reflection too um, comes from just giving the teachers time to do that um, and sometimes you just need yes. someone to because I don't think necessarily like I'm thinking of when when we did our coaching cycle I don't think I necessarily um, prompted you guys to have a lot of those discussions but it's just getting us in a room together you guys had those discussions so it was just making sure we we did it we provided the time like we held each other accountable for making it happen um, yeah so I don't think it's necessarily I by no means like I try to express as much as I possibly can like I'll try to I'm not an expert I'll try to support you I'm not an expert I'll try to talk through it with you I'm um so yeah I think it's just teachers are incredible human beings and if you just give them time um they can really do a lot of amazing things you just got to give them time such warm fuzzy feelings. <laughs> Nicole, what a humble approach. Right. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. in a, w there's a lot of ego in every industry, mm -hmm. you know, but for somebody to sit here and repeat, you know, I'm not an expert. For some people, they can't ever get to that point. Mm -hmm. You know, they have to, in their own mind, they've, 
had to conjure up this, you know, Im image of themselves in front of students. And I am the expert. And uh, it's great to hear somebody say, listen, you know, it's about support. Um, and really, that's maybe how we should be approaching education with students. Right. What? Right. Yeah, yeah. Mind yeah. equals now. Cool. Cool. Is so bold. Whoa. <laughs> and what a great point to bring up the point about reflection. In pre-service, you know, and in student teaching, it's, you know, they're so intentional about reflection. You know, you need to be able to reflect. And I bought into that. I'm like, yes, I, you know, this will be a tool I use. And then you get into teaching and, and there's, there's no, no time. time. There's no, no time. time. No time. And by I've the time you finally get that time to reflect, you can't reflect on anything except the end of the school mm -hmm. year. And then it's like, oh, well, now I got to get ready for next year. You know, like that. Yeah. yeah. If we're going to be intentional about keeping and making good teachers, all the things that you teach us in pre-service need to be rooted in reality in, in classrooms, in school districts. Yeah. Instead of, I, I'm going to get on my soapbox. I hope that's okay. <laughs> Should we Step make footstep noises? Your microphone. <laughs> you know, professional development can be a great thing, but it doesn't have to be something that we need to spend thousands of dollars on bringing in outside people right. when you can give teachers the opportunity to just collaborate and have these discussions with each other, have a great instructional coach to lead them mm -hmm. through that. And I think we will have much, much better results for students. We will keep teachers. We'll have great teachers. I don't know. To me, it, Only it seems such, such like a simple solution. What? Your solution is when you support people, they'll do better? Like, that's so crazy. I know, right? I'm wild. I do have one other question. Um, as an instructional coach, uh, how much of your time would you say is spent with uh, like core classrooms versus like any oh. of the specials, like band art, you know? I would say this given, so this is my f first year full time at the high school. So um, we were trying to figure out, we being um, me and my administrator, like how, how do we start this process? Um, and so the way we started it is we have our um, building leadership team and so we basically just said, hey, um, would you guys please just do a coaching cycle? Everybody from the leadership team, do a coaching cycle so we can just get this process started. Um, because otherwise, it's a voluntary activity. I'm not going to make anybody do a coaching cycle. Um, so the leadership team, to answer your question, is more core um, teachers than um, elective teachers. So, um, I have worked with the speech and debate coach. Um, I'm trying to think what other electives and I think, is that the only elective teacher on the, um, well, the PE has one PE has one. So I will work with a PE teacher. Um, I think that's scheduled for next month. Um, so my goal now that I've gone through, um, coaching cycles with a lot of the core teachers, my goal for next year is just to um, reach out to anybody that I haven't been able to go through that process with, including um, non-core teachers to kind of go through that process. Because I, I know the importance of not just focusing on core. I was also, I was English, but I was also theater. Um, so those people need support too. It's not just core teachers. Um, I do think core teachers feel, um, 
a, a tad bit more pressure than um, the elective teachers. But all the metrics are based on their yeah, curriculum. Yeah. 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 But since all the metrics, like I understand the focus that they get. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying one way or the other against it. It just yeah. is something I, I've noticed. But I do think, too, um, with having an instructional coach, she says, you know, she's a teacher advocate. So I think that goes across whether you're core or not. You know, like those issues, like we've had, you know, little minor things that as a school, maybe as teachers, you know, we've had little minor things. And Nicole's the first one to raise the flag and go, hey, I'm going to go to administration and tell them about our issue. And a lot of times that they come up with a solution that makes all of us happy or at least happier than we were before. And so that's been really nice. But I, yeah, I would like to, like I'm thinking of different departments that I would love to work with just, um, just to get to know them better. Cause even though I've been the same place for a long time and I've worked with some of these people a long time, we're in different departments. So it's not like we we know each other, but we don't know each other, you know. So um, there are different departments that I definitely want to work with um, next year and even this year if there's if there's enough time. Teachers <laughs> need time. <laughs> Ceaseless, yeah. unrelenting. So going back to the questions here, uh, I'm sure you have seen some trends in teachers and teaching. Uh can you elaborate on some of the things that you've seen over the years, good or bad? Oh, man. Um, one, one thing that I think um, teachers could use a lot of support with when they want to try it is project-based um, or problem-based um, learning because um, it can be done well and it can be, um, it can be really messy without support. Um, so I have seen like some ebbs and flows of project-based teaching and, and trying to do that. And I've seen some people have great success and I've seen some people just like flounder. Um, and so um, I have mixed feelings about it, but I always want to, if someone wants to give it a go, I want to support them and, and try to help them with that. Um, but one of the things I, if, if, um, if it's not well thought out, um, it really, the, the kids can rule the room, um, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so, um, that's one thing. Um, another, I'm trying to think of, um, other trends I've noticed. Um, what about flex seating? Oh, flex seating. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think like, oh, I want so bad for flex seating to work. Like in my experience, <laughs> it doesn't. For it. Yeah. Right. Like I want it so bad to work. And like, I can just speak from my own classroom when I had flex seating, like I really had to like make sure I was like managing that, you know? Um, so I, I think there's probably, I think like, like we've talked about Amanda reading, like there is flex seating. We, you need options for kids when they're reading of like, um, but then I've also seen where like kids it's flex seating. So kids are like laying under the table <laughs> with their book like this, like falling asleep. So I even think about it in my own life. I had a comfy chair in my room last year that is now in the English closet because I was like, this chair is ruining my life. Like, I can't. I'm so sorry. It has to go. 
Oh, gosh. In band, it's one of the worst things because kids will just get up. I'm like trying to give them feedback and they'll just stand up and walk across the room. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? In leadership, like absolutely flex seating, be comfortable. And we're going to, you know, I need to give you freedom and you need to, you know, find how to do that appropriately. But in math, <laughs> no flex. we're going to have to really be structured because like just yeah. the way it's set up and I need to move through the room and like, yeah, it, there was definitely a, dichotomy there <laughs> what other trends um well obviously in the last 10 years one-to-one -one technology mm -hmm. like the mm -hmm. push for that and and i do i do think that districts have gone overboard ah, with yes. that we talked about this last time yeah. <laughs> did you yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. i don't just uh, need more computers yeah like especially when the 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 com the community that surrounds us isn't able to support that like they don't have the infrastructure to support right. the one-to-one -one effort right you know it's like sure we put a chromebook in their hand but they're still going home to like a hay field right no <laughs> right no wi-fi here's a computer yeah. <laughs> right. yeah and i think just um giving teachers computers without giving them um, support on how to use those devices or support um, <laughs> or like um, I don't know I, I I just remember when um, going one-to-one -one as a teacher and just feeling like oh my gosh we have these devices that are so expensive and the kids have these devices and we've got to use these and just finding every way to do these cool things um, and I remember that first year of having those devices, like if you ask me what I was connecting that to as far as, um, you know, standards or anything else, I'd just be like, well, I don't know. They were on the computer. They were using it. <laughs> like they were using uh, Powtoon to um, explain the Raven to me. Like yeah. I, you know, I don't know. It's just a really expensive um, pen and paper. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think being able to reflect on that and go, I, I was not good at that um, my first year of using it or probably my second year or my third year. Like, and I, I think without the, the support on how to use those computers effectively, I don't think it's anybody's fault necessarily that they're not being as used as effectively right. as mm -hmm. they could. Like, it's not reinventing education. No. It, no. It, I mean, back to the time thing, like, on the drive over here, I was rethinking about the technology question. Okay. And I'm like, you know, it, it could be such a benefit. Like there is the potential to, I think, do a lot, mm -hmm. but it takes so much time to like find those tools, the websites, the software, and then you have to learn them and then make the decision, is this going to be effective? Mm -hmm. Can students access it? Is, it? is it going to teach the things I'm trying to teach? Or is and just, then it may not like you may dev devote hours and weeks and months and then it may not work <laughs> or the company bad. could just say, hey, we're not we're going to just shut down. We got bought out or, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, uh, uh, OK, that's like, what I hate is like all these Silicon Valley tech bros who are just trying to make a buck off of all the public education money that's floating around Ed tech. like like that's uh, I don't know, man, like dollars. There's so much money that's been thrown at, at this education or technology gap situation and it's not really been addressed where maybe use that money to support teachers. Get an instructional coach? Yeah. Let's just go and back to that article. The, I would think the outcomes 
could be could be better and they're going to last longer than than a Chromebook that will last two years. Well, and teacher retention alone, I think, would benefit from having an instructional coach. <laughs> if somebody was like, hey, would you rather have these 20 laptops that kids can use to play games on while you're trying to oh, talk gosh. to them? Or Nicole. Oh. I would pick Nicole. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> well, it, I mean, so to sweet. me, and it may sound dated when I say this, but it's that human component. Yeah. A device cannot replace that for students. A device cannot replace that for us. Like, it is the Nicole's, that human relationship, interaction, that make us better. And that's what makes us effective teachers with students. Like, it's, yeah, it's all connected. My favorite quote from Avatar The Last Airbender yes. is when in is the last secret season. Secret tunnel? <laughs> secret tunnel, no. Thank you, thank you all. No, uh, is in the, in, the, in the third book uh, where Aang is talking to Sokka. And he says, everybody needs a teacher. It made me cry the first time I heard it. I was like, Aww. oh my God. <laughs> Everybody needs a teacher. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Everybody needs a teacher. Mm-hmm. You can't, and a computer's not a teacher. And I think from the kid's perspective, a, a teacher can, I've, I've, I've heard this from, from teachers and from kids, you know, just in, in passing. Like from a kid's perspective, a teacher might be putting a ton of time into, into something on the computer. Um, but I've heard kids say, well, my teacher's not even teaching me. They're just yes. putting me in front of the computer. Mm-hmm. And a teacher could be spending a lot of time getting that together, but the kids aren't, um, they're not absorbing that as learning from their teacher. Um, we talked about that this year, how I have some freshmen who would come in and be like, oh, so-and-so in the building doesn't even teach us. And I was like, well, one, what? how are you? You're like 14. How are you qualified to design? <laughs> First of all, let's simmer it down. But I think that's so true. Like, I, I am convinced that person is investing a lot of time. They just don't see it on their end. But I, I will go so far as to say with, you know, the, the advent of some of these, you know, virtual learning suites and whatnot, that gave teachers access to be kind of lazy. And I'm not saying all teachers, like right. talking about a very small uh, group of teachers that were like, you know, I can just give students this website. Which is true. To, to follow along. And that's, man, that really does a disservice to all other teachers. B- because students either can say, hey, I really don't have to try that hard in class, or I can just cheat easier, or why I is can, this relevant? Or I can say, you know, schools, you know, I, I can disengage from it. This is an excuse not to, to buy in. And I don't know. And so. then we yell at them to put their phones down. <laughs> yeah. Are there any books or materials uh, that you would recommend uh, to new or burnout teachers? Yeah. Um, my favorite book that kind of revitalized me that I read last summer was Forged by Reading. Um, I think it's Forged by Reading, The Power of Literacy or The Power of a Literate Mind. Um, and it's by Kyleen Beers and Robert Probst. Um, but it's just basically talks about um, the uh, power of literacy in terms of social justice, the power of literacy in terms of um, just achieving what you want to in life. And um, I think it just... Um, it kind of reignited that fire in me of um, the effect uh, the education system and teachers can have um, when they're making sure that their students are literate um, and just the power of that for for our students. 
Um, especially, I mean, there are there are districts in Southwest Missouri where you know, literacy is not, you know, just at home. Literacy is not valued. It, it's not something where um, parents aren't reading, kids aren't reading. We're not. Um, we are not, you know, listening to the news or reading the news or in just the power of knowledge um, and how important it is as educators to make, how edu- important educators are in being that kind of, um, that bridge mm-hmm. to that. Because if it's not happening at home, like that bridge is just happening at school. Well, and this is my, my soapbox based off this recommendation is like, yeah, make the foot sound, um, <laughs> is that N- Nicole obviously has a communication arts background, as do Amanda and I. However, literacy is everybody's project. Like, Everybody. it's not just the English department's job to promote literacy. Each content area has its own unique reading and literacy challenges. Um, So if you're like listening to that recommendation and you're like, well, I don't do English, so that book's not useful for me, probably it could be. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you said that because they do do a great job of talking about how it is applicable across the board in in education and in in coursework. So what what do you say to the the math teacher, the algebra teacher who's like... we're not reading books. And so what do you 34 watermelons? (laughs) Well, Nicole actually could probably tell you because our building has a literacy focus that we've emphasized is supposed to be across all contents. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, uh, conversations that we've had is that, um, really math is like another language. Oh, absolutely. You sure. Kids are learning another language. It's a form of literacy. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also just making sure, I, I, I think one thing that I um, have experienced with math teachers is you are an extremely intelligent bunch. Um, like just very, um, your brain works in a different way than mine. And I think sometimes math teachers can be so smart in their content that um, it's difficult for them to understand that you are here and like the rest of us are here. (laughs) Um, And so um, helping, throwing things around like, I don't know, give me a math term. Oh man, like integration. uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Stole your thunder. Like um, bringing that term in um, and then, kind of explaining what it means, and then you're just going and you're using the term. Um, so the importance of kind of building the kids into that so that they're speaking the language too. Um, because, you know, if I'm learning Spanish, you could tell me a term one time, and then all of a sudden you're learning it, and I'm like, I think I forgot right. what that means. <laughs> what do you mean? I just told you what the definition Yeah, is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, those conversations we have, and just also, you know, in any content, you can have the kids write. Um, the kids can can write in any content. I would say I was not the typical math teacher. Like I came at it differently and math hasn't always been something that was super easy. I've just found it fascinating and coming into education later in life, you know, I, I used math and what I did before teaching and really always tried to bridge that gap there. But I always was fascinated by like history of math mm-hmm. and like some of these ancient problems or problems that developed entire areas of math and always tried to like 
teach those things, but students were more like, well, let's just, can we just get to, like... Let's do the problem, But the sir. solutions <laughs> counted in base 60. It <laughs> <laughs> made trigonometry really easy, man. Like, it, there are, like, really cool things with that, but... And, and I'm a... You know, I contributed to the problem, I guess, in that eventually you just kind of give up because the students at no point had ever learned math that way, that had any type of literacy or history or any of the, like looking at it more than just like a task. So, so then, you know, I feel like to get through this, like it's going to be like transactional. Like, <laughs> it's and it's very, very sad. Uh-huh. You know, um, it's something that probably needs to be established very early on those habits of like math is more than a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just skill and drill. Right. Yeah. Right. I once had a most serendipitous day where this incredible computer science professor used my room as his classroom um, for an odd series of reasons. And um, he's like beloved. Um, I didn't know him previously, but his students love him. His community loves him. Um, I now also am a fan. Um, And he told his computer science students, like unprompted of me, that if they're not good linguists and if they don't understand literacy, that they can't ever be successful in computer science. And so talking about like an emerging field, he made the same comparison to math. Like it is its own language. And if you don't have fundamental language processing, you're not going to master this one. Like we have to be good at all things. If and or. Going back to what Nicole, you kind of mentioned this earlier, like there are communities where literacy is not a focus of, of entire communities, almost not like they got together and were going to say, no, literacy, but no, they, they have these <laughs> families that are, you know, generational in these communities that literacy isn't important and that then affects all knowledge and learning. And it's you say that, but there was literally a book burning in Tennessee, like. A month ago. Yeah, some communities do get together. So communities do. That is true. (laughs) Not in my world with my rose-colored glasses. (laughs) (laughs) We probably need to drive this home. Any any takers? Nicole's cool. Nicole is awesome. Nicole is great. Um, You can't have her. We have her. We have her, but, but I do recommend that schools look into providing an instructional coach for their teachers. They are so vital. They keep teacher retention and they're totally worth it. They're worth more than that person that you paid 10 grand to come in and do a PD that could have been an email. You know, we've all been there. Uh, We've all been there. So please, please, please consider adding instructional coaches, make them intentional, make sure that they are advocates for your teachers. Catch us next time for Sam reading us the 12 wonderful reasons to be a teacher where we all blind react to this awesome list. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can reach us at WTWA at 277media.com. Thanks for listening to Where the Whiteboards Are. The opinions expressed in our podcast are that of the individuals and do not represent the opinions of their employees, school districts, or communities in which they work.